Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you're catching this episode, whether you're listening or watching. I would totally appreciate it. And please, if you haven't already, sign up for my newsletter at hrtracy.com. That's H-R-T-R-A-C-I. The newsletter comes out every week, and it's a great way for us to communicate directly. So I'm going to keep this week's episode fairly abbreviated because there was something that came out in the news actually today, the day that I'm recording, which is the day after Memorial Day, um, that I thought was really interesting because I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, you know, especially uh, throughout the pandemic and as we were kind of seeing like the ebbs and flows of workplace changes and workforce changes. So the hot story for today, which if you have been listening for a while, you know that I get a ton of news from the Human Times newsletter, and you can head to my link tree in the show notes if you want to subscribe as well. Um, but basically, the hot story today, which I also had read in Bloomberg before I opened up the newsletter, is that women are leading the recovery as workforce partip- participation reaches record high. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about that today or this week is because I kind of made this prediction that because of changes in the workforce, and I made this prediction a while ago, maybe back in 2020 already, um, that because of changes in the workforce and the way that um, businesses were reacting to remote work, hybrid, things like that, that COVID essentially pushed out women from the workforce, which I'll get to in this article. Women were pushed out of the workforce a bit. And that I basically made this sweeping generalization, this prediction that unless something changed, that women would not uh, be seen in the workforce at any level that they were at prior to the pandemic, um, just because, you know, the the challenges at home and the way that the economy was impacted by COVID, like all of those things um, took an, had an impact on women, especially in business. And what's interesting about this article is that this actually challenges that prediction, which I really love. I'm glad that I was wrong um, so far. So I'm going to read you the basically the blurb from the article, which is from the Columbian. And it says the participation rate of women aged 25 to 54 in the workforce has reached a record high of 77.5%, surpassing the peak reached in 2000, according to government data. This marks a fast reversal from the pandemic-induced so-called she-session, that's in air quotes, and sees this is kind of what I'm talking what I was talking about before, that women were essentially kind of pushed out of the workforce because of the changes that incurred from COVID. Anyway, let me continue. Um, so this marks a fast reversal from the pandemic-induced so-called she-session that saw millions of women lose their jobs or leave the workforce to care for loved ones. The rise in women's workforce participation is driven by economic conditions, including a strong job market and persistent inflation that has pressured families to find ways to offset soaring costs. 
The pandemic has also reshaped workplace policies and childcare arrangements in ways that are influencing women's decisions to enter or stay in the workforce. However, economists warn that without underlying changes in work family policy and childcare availability, further increases in women's workforce participation may not be sustainable. So what I'm happy about is to hear that actually there are more women in the workforce today than in 2000. That's awesome. That it's a 77.5% participation rate. That's huge. I mean, it, I mean to have a record high when we've seen global changes and global impact from COVID is a huge win. Um, what I think is important about that blurb is the uh, kind of the heads up that unless there are continued uh, changes or strives toward a more sustainable um, experience for women in the workforce, that this could actually change. And so my prediction in past episodes was basically that kind of similar to that, that unless, you know, uh, businesses and work, the workforce itself change to allow and accommodate more remote work, that we would probably continue to see women leaving the workforce. Now, naturally, there are a ton of factors here, like the economy and inflation and the job market, as the article mentioned. Now, what's interesting, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this, other than, you know, one, debunking my prediction to getting, making sure that we're getting set up for success to ensure that women are still in the workforce for years to come and that we sustain this. And then three, which is this final point here, or not final point, but third point, that there are all of these other factors that influenced this increase in participation rate. So when we think about the economy and inflation, obviously the the cost of living across the world, but especially when we think of the United States, considering this percentage is reflective of um, U.S. numbers, there is a that's there's a huge influence there on needing multiple incomes in one household or dual income, um, it, dual incomes in one household, depending on the the type of household that we're talking about, and you know we definitely hear a lot from women about the cost of childcare, for example, and whether or not those um, jobs that they held before um, actually kind of benefit them or or pay them more than what childcare costs. Now, obviously, childcare is not the only reason why women left the workforce in the pandemic, as this article quoted the she session, in air quotes. Um, obviously, caregiving can go beyond having children, but when you think about the cost of care, that's where many women most often are deciding whether or not, you know, what the what the pros and cons are and the, the cost-benefit analysis, so to speak, and what that looks like. And if you go back to some of my episodes, I'll have to figure out if I can remember which episode I, I kind of dove into this one on. I, I can probably figure it out. Um, but if you think about that episode, I think I did talk about the challenges in pay equity and how women were leaving the workforce because of differences and potential disparities in pay compared to male counterparts. So this makes me wonder if there is less of a disparity or if we're seeing maybe a more equitable approach to pay now that we've seen um, pay transparency take place in many states around the country. Like there are all of these other things that I think about when I read this article, like 
are 77.5% of women in the workforce because uh, they see what they can earn and so they're not feeling like they're undercut? Are they earning more of a one-to-one ratio to uh, counterparts in similar or the same roles? Is it that the cost is just too high for them to stay out of work? I don't know. I think it's probably all of those things. Um, The other uh, idea here is that in the article, it says the milestone marks a surprisingly fast reversal from the depths of the COVID crisis, which had undone years of progression in women's workforce participation. The bounce back reflects everything from the rise of remote work to long-term trends such as more women getting college degrees. But more than anything, it is driven by economic conditions. The U.S. job market is strong, lifting participation for a variety of groups and persistent inflation has pressured families to find ways to offset soaring costs. So I would really love to highlight this job market piece because some of you might be thinking, the job market is not strong. I'm struggling to find people. I'm struggling to retain talent. Actually, if you're struggling to retain talent, it is possible that that is a great sign of the job market because there's competition. Um, But otherwise, you know, it's an engagement issue probably. Um, there's that. And then some of you might even be thinking, well, I'm open to work and I can't find a job. That doesn't necessarily mean that the job market isn't strong. The job market being strong really is pointing to the number of jobs and the number of people open to work, as well as, you know, even just looking at jobs that are being created. So I think it's really interesting because of course, if you read enough, um, if you read enough articles about the economic situation and certain industries like tech, for example, you'll see this huge gray cloud cast over the job market and those particular industries. But this article is doing a really good job so far. And I will, of course, link it in the show notes so you can check it out there yourself. But this article is doing a good job of explaining that actually the job market is fairly strong. So I'm going to read this other portion here for you to um, kind of understand what I mean when I'm saying the job market is strong because of all these factors. Job openings, while declining, continue to outnumber unemployed workers 1.6 to 1, and the unemployment rate, now just 3.4%, matches its lowest level since the early 1950s. So don't let the news scare you. Unemployment is very low. Naturally, I then start to think, well, does the like are there more influencers are people like entrepreneurs and they're figuring things out for themselves maybe they're not claiming unemployment like there are all these things that i think about but it is really important to understand levels of unemployment when inflation is high obviously costs are high it's costs are high for businesses and individuals and when costs are high it tends to result in cost cutting measures right so we saw the tech industry go through hundreds of thousands of layoffs for people right Hundreds of thousands of people, I should say, were laid off in that industry. But we can understand here that this these numbers are across the nation. This is not just based on industry. So if the job openings are declining a bit, but unemployment rates are low, people are receiving or earning income somewhere. Um, this, you know, they kind of talk about how The disconnect between labor demand and supply has forced businesses to rapidly increase wages to attract and retain workers. So all of this, of course, is connected. When when we see that there are uh, lower unemployment rates 
And with pay transparency, companies became even more competitive with one another because they're able to see what the other or what their competitor is potentially offering. They are going to work double time to retain their people. Private sector wages and salaries have climbed over 10% in the last two years. So with all of this competition, with all of this supply, there's also an increase in demand. And that demand is really first taking place in wanting to retain people. So for me, this kind of translates, when we think about women in the workforce, it makes me think that actually maybe there have been retention measures um, specifically targeting those who maybe were impacted by pay inequities because we know that women are paid less to the dollar um, to their male counterparts. And obviously there's a lot that goes into that. I've talked about this before. It's not, we can't just look at it black and white, but um, it's an important distinction to make that it is possible that we're seeing this surge or increase record level high of women in the workforce because of all of these microeconomic factors that have resulted in businesses needing to um, increase, you know, having this increased demand and increase their wages and increase uh, the ways in which they're retaining and attracting their talent. And of course, it's not lost on me that it is possible that there were uh, there were more focusing there were more focuses, I should say, on DEI. And maybe in the past, companies didn't have such a wonderful spread or representation of women in leadership or women in their in the industry. Depending on the industry, of course, there are some industries that are women dominated, and there are some industries that are not. Um, and so I, I can probably talk about all of these other small factors that could weigh into or play into, I should say, um, this idea and this concept and these numbers. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shoutouts and kudos, employee introductions, and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Nothing economically or even from a job perspective can be taken at the surface level. There's always going to be this you know, multitude of factors that influence the way numbers trend or the way that we perceive data. Um, but I, I thought this was so interesting because, you know, when we think about the future, if companies, you know, let's say companies say, okay, we're going fully back into the work, you know, into the office and there's no flexibility, that is one area where we could see women leaving the workforce. If companies say, no, we're not interested in improving our benefits for childcare or caregiving or, you know, offering, uh, 
subsidies for facilities or childcare or even having childcare on site if we're requiring people to go into the office, that's another place where we could see women leaving the workforce. So when the what I read before about how companies, you know, need to think about the sustainability of this 77.5% participation rate of women in the workforce, there has to be this recognition that there has that there will be more to come or an exodus to come if there aren't um, sustainable practices kind of put in place. I do think that if companies that want to be in person thought about the facilities or the resources that they have on site for their, their employees, this is not even just for women, but men too, especially thinking about like childcare, I could imagine a world where if company A said, we're going fully back into the office, we're on site, and we recognize that 50% of our employees have dependents. And so as a result, we are going to be opening up a childcare facility with, you know, uh, certified teachers or, you know, like, you know, daycare professionals with background checks and whatever, you know, their, whatever title might be akin to these roles, that people would probably be much more inclined to bring their children or, you know, their dependents obviously it's usually children in these situations. Um, if they were to bring their children, that that would actually be a huge motivator for people to go back into the office because childcare is so expensive. Why would someone go into the office when they could maybe even find a job that is pays them a little bit less and doesn't require them to then have in-home childcare when they are at the office? Like there are all of these things that have to kind of, or I should say, predicate like a a new approach to work and I feel like in the past like when I was growing up in the 90s I feel like I remember childcare facilities being in offices but maybe this is just me making it up or maybe it was a Rugrats episode and I'm totally misremembering reality like that's totally possible but I can't really understand why offices especially huge buildings right like let's say someone works in a major office building like when I did when I worked in the off in an office I worked in a major office building why shouldn't every company that works or that pays rent or rents out a floor in that building contribute to having a childcare facility on site like that's a great idea if you ask me and I would totally be interested to hear if there are companies that are doing this or buildings that do have this because for me, it makes sense as a way to drive retention too. If you have company A that offers that and company B that doesn't, I mean, and they're and they're both in-person or hybrid, there's a huge benefit to staying with company A because you have built-in childcare. It's a huge benefit. I mean, when you think about like the cost or the benefit, I should say, of that, you know, the, the cost of the, the business and the benefit to the employee that could be thousands of dollars a month that an employee is then essentially getting added onto their compensation package, their total comp package, and that a business can really leverage not only um, as a selling point, but also as a retention point. So the article, of course, continues by saying that the rise of remote and hybrid work, as well as more flexibility, is a likely contributor to this increase or record high for participation rate of women. But it, it 
goes on to say that meanwhile, participation among women 55 and older has been stuck near pandemic era lows, a pattern that suggests older women continue to make sacrifices to help keep their younger family members in the workforce. If the daycare was closed, granny became the nanny that actually helped. This is uh, uh, what one person in contributing to the article is saying that actually helped to foster labor force attachment for a lot of women in that prime working age, even as it pulled down labor force attachment among older women. You know, and all of this makes me think, too, about how many women end up leaving the workforce because of having to essentially choose between starting a family or continuing their careers, especially in some states that don't offer um, great parental leave uh, benefits or companies that don't offer great parental leave benefits. There are still companies to this day that do not offer competitive paternity or maternity leaves and kind of just defer to what the government says or doesn't say. I think I had mentioned that I have a friend who works for works for a small business and they don't qualify for FMLA even though they are in New York and they have these wonderful benefits. They don't qualify for FMLA, so their benefits are really just uh, short-term disability through the state. Um, but aside from that, they don't actually have the time off to bond with their child or recover. I think the the business that they work for is actually only offering six weeks, which is not even enough time if a woman has a cesarean section after birth um, or after giving birth to a child. So, you know, companies or businesses that don't put these policies first because they don't necessarily see or want to see how impactful they are, are going to be the losers in the end. Not only losers um, because they're losers for not offering better benefits, but also losers because they're going to have difficulty attracting and retaining women in their population. So all of that said, I realize that this is like a basically an episode talking about an article and, you know, the my prediction and kind of what we could see for the future of the workforce. I wanted to bring this up because many of you listen who are listening are women, not all of you, um, and most of you are in HR. So what does this mean? Of course, here's the call to action. We have an opportunity to make sure that we are sustaining these record level highs. And again, how do we do that? We, we can either, A, if we're fully in person, think about childcare subsidies or facilities on site if you're a large enough company. We can think about you know, allowing the flexibility and just encouraging our uh, colleagues to be open, more open to flexibility because it benefits everyone, not only women, but also those who um, have disabilities and maybe require more accommodation. Flexibility is huge for every single person in the workforce. Um, three, we could really think about these um, parental leaves and being more competitive and offering more than what the government says we should offer. The government is the bare minimum, right? Like that's, that is what laws are all about. It's like, this is the bare minimum of what is tolerable or what is allowed or what is recommended and required. And some states go above and beyond what the federal government says, and some states do nothing. And it's up to businesses to decide how they are going to interact with laws and regulations. But just like the minimum wage is the minimum wage, it's not the maximum wage, right? Businesses have an opportunity, an option to make a decision to go above and beyond what the minimum, what the government is saying is the minimum 
for business. So these are all areas where we as HR leaders have a huge opportunity to influence the trajectory of the workforce and to ensure that we are sustaining women in business. Women should not have to decide between having a family and raising their families and giving up on their career trajectories. They should be able to receive promotions or you know have pay equity and still be able to have the flexibility to be present in their family lives. And men and anyone who is a parent should have those same flexibilities and benefits afforded to them. So that is your call to action. That is your charge as HR leaders or business leaders, if you're not other business leaders, if you're not in HR, that we have this huge opportunity in front of us to make sure that we are sustaining this type of growth in the workforce so that my prior predictions remain wrong. I don't want women to make this big exodus from the workforce. We have to stay in the workforce. We've made huge progress. And clearly a 77.5% participation rate is something to celebrate. So now while we celebrate, we have to also think about the future and think about how we are going to sustain and maintain those percentages, if not increase them. So with that, I hope you all have a fabulous week and that, you know, uh, for those of you who have served or have lost someone potentially in their uh, service to this country, that you know um, the Memorial Day served as a as a you know a weekend or a holiday of remembrance and appreciation. I have had many friends and family who have served, um, and so you know while it's easy to say Happy Memorial Day, it's actually not really a happy holiday. It is kind of the first start of summer. But regardless, you know, I think for those who have served and for those who have had loved ones serve and risk it all, thank you. I appreciate you. And we also are going into Pride Month, so be proud of yourself. Be proud of who you are and uh, don't hide who you are either. Those are my two final parting messages for you. Um, again, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, also, subscribe to my newsletter on hrtracy.com and follow me on Instagram at hrtracy. Thank you so much, and I will see you next week. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.